Local programming on KRWG made possible in part by viewers like you. Thank you. Welcome to a brand new edition of Fronteras. Thank you for joining us this, e this evening. I'm Hector H. Lopez. One of our most interesting parts of the show is when we have our political roundtable. Tonight, we do have a political roundtable for all of you. As you know, it is presidential election season. A lot of big topics, and the topics run right through our very community. One of the big topics that has surfaced as one of the big hot issues is immigration. Immigration has been talked about quite in quite big fashion. Entire states have taken particular positions that are gaining the headlines. And so it's one of those times that we can have an opportunity to kind of take a look at it, analyze it, have a little bit of back and forth, and we have a great political roundtable. And uh, we're gonna try to continue to do this. Joining us this time around, we have Dr. Joseph Villescas from Villescas Research Media and Instruction. Uh, as you know, he is a regular here on Fronteras, uh, commenting on all the various uh, topics that we have had. He is a prominent political consultant in the area, as well as, uh, you know, involved in instruction and media, uh, as well as significant research that is ongoing in our community and beyond. Also joining us on the political roundtable, all the way from Phoenix, Arizona, we have Representative Ruben Gallego, who represents District 16 out in Arizona in the state legislature. Obviously, Arizona is a very big uh, topic of conversation, to say the least, uh, when it comes to topic of immigration, not only at the national level, but at state levels and even at a local level. We're all talking about what is going on in Arizona. Representative Gallego is a personal good friend of mine. We go back to our days at Georgetown University, just like uh, I go to Georgetown University. He went to Harvard, and we also had my good friend uh, Joseph Viescas out at Wesleyan. Uh, actually, Representative Gallego served in our Marine Corps. He served one full tour of duty in Iraq and then came back and was elected to his current position. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me. Ruben, it's great to see you. Uh, Joseph, you know, guys, immigration has been one of these topics that we just can't seem to get anywhere near some sort of jumping off point when it comes to uh, actual action and, and, and maybe agreement or we, we just can't get away from this topic. And it's been decades, you know, it, it, it seems like it's the hottest topic. And I mean, Ruben, you're experiencing it on a day to day over in uh, Arizona. Tell me a little bit about what you found as you came into your position uh, as, as a state legislature. And, and I mean, you guys are mentioned in the news every other minute. Yeah, that's uh, too bad we can't put a tax on this. We can fill a deficit here. Um, look, immigration is an issue because it's a political issue. It's being used as a wedge issue. Um, you know, we're dealing with a changing demographic here in Arizona. And, uh, you know, there were some politicians that were, saw an opportunity to basically uh, take advantage of a lot of people's xenophobias, a lot of people that had no concept of what Arizona was. And when they moved to Arizona from whatever retirement community or into whatever retirement community they're from, um, you know, they were, they basically have been politically exploited by the Republican Party here in Arizona. 
And uh, what happened is for many years, it was politically advantageous to do that for the Republican Party. And as of late, it's starting to turn the tide. Um, but um, it is political. And, uh, you know, I think the mistake that we made here in Arizona was that uh, we assumed that it wasn't political. And uh, that was a big mistake among our Latino leaders here. We have a lot of big personalities that have taken the national stage from uh, your state of Arizona, Ruben. We have person that national stage personalities on the topic of immigration, like Governor Jan Brewer, like Sheriff uh, Joe Arpaio. Uh, some pretty big people that have kind of gotten turned into characters of sorts on the national media and really carry this banner. Now, Joseph, you research um, the phenomenon of, of immigration and where the Latino community currently stands uh, within not only our country but but beyond. What is your what what is your finding when it comes to the topic? I know you and I had a little bit of a conversation backstage before we came onto the show. Uh, that you know, it's it's one of those topics that baffle. I think the xenophobia. Uh, did galvanize a lot of voters in the time where it was where it was useful politically. I think the foundation for uh, the leadership that McCain provided to the state also was reinforced by some uh, utilization of immigrants, like we've done historically in politics forever, uh, making the Mexicans the problem of the economy or of of, uh, of the quality of life there. You have to remember there was a massive housing boom at the last at the end of the 20th century in that state, and yeah, a lot of newcomers came to town and ultimately. There was a, a local population proximity to the border that really did feel that these people were sapping us of our services enough so to get armed, mobilize, and guard the border themselves to prevent the onslaught. Talk about the Minutemen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you begin to look at the state and you think about it. There was really not just xenophobia but hatred, and to this day, you know, many of us as as onlookers cannot believe the state in which we have uh, a sheriff. You know, utilizing a stance, a very hard stance on on enforcing their interpretation of the law, uh, and and positioning Mexican nationals and others uh, in in extreme conditions. Yeah, you also have to remember this, and I know people try to put this on the issue of the recession. This started with the recession. This anti-immigrant um, sentiment was pre-recession. Uh, actually, it was even during the boom times here in Arizona that you saw a lot of ballot propositions that were being passed, and you saw Sheriff Joe Arpaio doing a lot of his uh, extrajudicial uh, immigration enforcement. So this has nothing really to do with the recession. It has to really do with um, a growing population trying to assert itself versus a population that's still trying to, uh, to, to keep you know, some semblance of control uh, or what they thought they had control. So this is, uh, you know, this is something entirely new. And you gotta remember, Sheriff Joe Arpaio is a politician through and through. Um, back in the day, uh, in the early 2005, he used to receive awards from the Mexican consulate for his uh, fair and just treatment of immigrants here in Mexico. Hmm. But as soon as the political winds changed, he also changed, and that's why he's been taking advantage of this situation uh, and really using it to distract from a lot of the problems that he has. Uh, you know, whenever there's a problem with the fact that he's misspent about $100 million, he just goes and tries to round up more brown people. Uh, if somebody dies in his jail, he, he calls for another immigration roundup. Uh, this is one of the most corrupt politicians wow. in the country, mind you. Um, but he uses immigration as a way, uh, immigration enforcement as a way to basically disguise um, his corruption. And, and this is the thing that gets me, gentlemen. And you know what? Around the table, we have a group, a good group of friends. But beyond that, we are members of the Latino community, well-educated, and we see this coming. We, we see this occurring within our own communities, whether it's in Arizona 
or in certain respects, this topic monopolizing uh, our national airwaves, whether in Pennsylvania or even here in El Paso, we have a lot of those conversations. The thing that gets me, though, gentlemen, is that we have really only one concrete policy uh, being discussed that has gotten a little bit of legs, which is maybe the DREAM Act, and it's been not passed, which that should say a lot. Um, so we have that, the fact that we want to give an opportunity to our uh, children that arrived in this nation by no fault of their own, uh, that have known no other country than this one, that to be able to contribute to America. I, it kind of baffles me, though, that that's, when you get into like the depth of the issue, that's it. There's no more concrete policy that has been developed at, that has been entertained at high levels. You have actions being taken by, by, by an entire state that is considered to be constitutional by some and non-constitutional by others. But one of the big questions that you brought up backstage, Joseph, to what end? I mean, what is the Latino agenda in Arizona? I mean, uh, beyond a replacement of a, of, of a, of a you know, Joe Arpaio or something like that. If we were to replace them, who would we replace them with? What would be the change in policies? How would you offset racial profiling in Arizona? Uh, how would you satiate the xenophobia of these voters? How would you bring in a whole new body of voters to sustain whatever new policy pushes that would be put in place? Uh, yeah, I think right now, when we talk about immigration, we usually talk about the, uh, some type of, of concept of the president failing passing some type of immigration reform, but we don't go into substantively what should that reform look like and how should it be implemented and how does this impact border security and so on. You know, by, the, by the way, it's not just border security. You got to understand at the same time that they were cutting, uh, you know, they were enhancing these immigration reforms in Arizona, they were also at the same time doing massive cuts to education. Uh, they were also uh, doing massive cuts to the social safety net of Arizona. And here's, here's why. Um, the Republican leadership here in this state, uh, instead of arguing, uh, you know, on a philosophical level, whether or not we should fund public schools, their argument many times is, you know, funded school, our public schools are well funded in Arizona. If it wasn't for all those illegals in the schools, there'd be enough money. So you got to understand this, this is, is not just, it has to do with immigration, it has to do with basically what the future of Arizona looks like. The end goal for your Arizona Latino is to be able to live the American dreams, send their kids to good schools so the kids can get well-trained and or go to college and get good professional careers, just like anybody else. Unfortunately, you have a fairly dominant political entity here that really wants to just you know, take up uh, the ladder that they use to climb up to the American middle class. So you know, our end goal here is to replace our pile with somebody um, who you know, is for law enforcement, professional law enforcement, but two, also to just start uh, implementing a lot of the uh, changes that we need in Arizona for our families, uh, our Latino families to succeed. The average age of Latino population in Arizona is 24. We're the ones having kids. So it's important that we you know, protect education, we protect health care, we keep building roads because we're the ones, our families are the ones that are going to use it. And we're the ones that basically have to create this state into a brand new state and push the economy along uh, because the retirement community is not going to be doing that, though they are politically dominant here. But if the average age of, uh, of this population is 24, then there's a very low propensity that this population votes. And although Absolutely. these issues are of their concern... It takes, it, takes a lot, it takes a lot of work. And one of the things that we've done here in Arizona um, is where we can take our wins, we take our wins. 
And so last year we uh, increased Latino turnout and elected our second uh, Latino city council member uh, here in the city of Phoenix. We increased Latino turnout in the city council by 200%. Um, you know, we helped out with the recall of the actual author of SB 1070. So it's not like we're, we're, we're neutered here. We're actually fighting back and we're fighting back in an effective manner. But our time, our time is not here yet, but we, whatever we can do, we're doing. And we're also at the same time creating new leadership. Part of the reason we're in this situation is because our, our Latino leaders, our, our older Latino leaders, were basically useless and uh, had not developed a bench and had not developed any kind of political power. Uh, and we found ourselves in a situation where when we finally were really being attacked, that they were nowhere to be found and basically uh, were abandoning the whole community altogether. And that's why you see a, a whole young crop of Latino leaders coming in because we have to push out a lot of these people that have been there have been stale for so long. So it's, it's a whole process that we're actually going through right now. It's, it's quite fascinating if you're on the, on the ground floor here. So it sounds like to me, we, we have some building blocks out here of, of, what, of what an agenda should look like. You know, perhaps it, an agenda should revolve around the, the development of future leaders. Because I think, I mean, you know, Representative Gallego, you mentioned, you, you mentioned the, the, the outlook or the perspective people have on some of your older Latino elected officials and out in Arizona. I got to tell you, it's, it's not much different in our own community here in El Paso. I mean, we've had headlines that call uh, our former state representative that, that was out in the same district that uh, Representative Mary Gonzalez is now going to be representing. They used to call him furniture. Uh, but, you know, that, that was an actual, you know, headline that was in our, in our news. So it sounds like there is the beginnings, the building blocks of an agenda. But again, when you get in depth of, to the scenario of if we win, then what? Right. It seems like our agenda is, is, is still in development and, and perhaps a bit shallow, wouldn't you say? Well, at least when it comes to articulating an agenda, a national U.S. Latino population's well, major that's what I'm agenda. talking yeah. about. Uh, that immigration, immigration reform is positioned as the primary issue of, of contention for this population is relatively artificial and inflated. But it is key to people along the border and border states, definitely. But nationally, we have the subdivides that did not rank this as the top issue, yet that is what is you know, considered our galvanizing community issue. So, so what are some of these other issues that characters like a Joe Arpaio or a Governor Jan Brewer or others that are on the scene monopolizing the airwaves as and driving it as one of the big centerpieces? What are some of these other issues, gentlemen? The issues, oh, excuse me. Ruben, go ahead. Yeah, and I'm, I may be a little confused. What are these other issues that, uh, that they're afraid of that the Latino community is trying to push? Yeah, I mean, well, what I'm saying is, what are some of these other issues that are predominant within the Latino community that are somehow, sometimes, being overshadowed by immigration being such well, a big issue at the, well, on the national yeah. stage? Okay. Well, I mean, again, like the needs of the Latino community are, are an age-old need that has been existent, whether it was the Italian immigrant, the Jewish immigrant, the Irish immigrant, or just your basic, you know, middle-class uh, working person. We need good schools. Uh, to educate and train our kids for the future. We need access to economic markets so we can start our businesses. We need, uh, you know, we need a safe and, uh, environment so our kids can grow safely and not have the huge asthma rates that they have right now. We need infrastructure to, uh, to help us you know, grow with the country. Um, and, and it's just everything else, that the, basics, the basic that, that every other community has had every other ethnicity has had as immigrants to this country, we need also. And that's what makes this country great. Unfortunately, what happened right now, what's happening right now with austerity measures is that 
those kinds of programs are being cut away and they negatively impact us the most because we're still a growing part of this country. So my opinion is the Latino you know, agenda is your basic middle class agenda. And we are affected by, uh, by any cuts and any harm that comes to the middle class agenda. I think our, I would concur, you know, that we have pretty standard uh, American populations derived from immigrant stream, uh, streams. We have the same issues. They, they change generationally, perhaps. But at least along the border, we have the shared responsibility of articulating, uh, you know, what exactly is happening here and how we need to better uh, transform our laws to serve the students, the families, and the people that do not mean us harm. I mean, this is the thing that ultimately what you have in Arizona is the restriction of rights on many cases, racially profiled citizens that are aiming to contribute to benefit the fabric of society. You know, the implementation of these laws and policies and of some of these leaders are ultimately to gain headlines, to be scandalous, to provide that type of attention, but they're not looking to benefit society. And, and sometimes we fall into this, into this situation where we are discussing the issue of immigration for more than a decade, you know, and years on end, years on end, without any action actually succeeding. Because, yeah, sure, we will have some legislation proposed, it'll, it'll be turned down, or it'll remain in committee, or whatever ends up happening politically. But then again, where, where should we begin? What are our next steps, I guess, is, is the question. If we've been at this for 10 years or more in, in, in many of our communities where immigration has been villainized and, and utilized in such a way, uh, to even overshadow some other issues that are ongoing, like like both of you point out, then then what's our starting point? I think right and, now, and what's and, and what is what does a future plan look like? I think the way in which immigration reform is mainly described is related to human rights, human rights abuses along the border in particular. Uh, this translates to both Latino populations and Asian populations as well. Uh, but taking it to the next level, what I saw interestingly enough coming out of the uh, organized professional business sectors of El Paso is immigration reform for altering how uh, our visas function and how we can fast track particular citizens who can grow businesses within our country. So I, I see a sector of, 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 American, uh, of American voters being interested in immigration reform to, to grow our economy and grow opportunities with, this, with these emerging populations that are most likely to grow businesses. But I do not see the same traction happening on the human right, uh, rights issue because it's countered by extremists who really do want to uh, punish these people for breaking law. I think I think the I'm sorry. I think the thing that we need to start is to actually get political empowerment. And just because we get a couple of stories in in you know Time magazine saying how we're we're winning the battle and maybe we get one or two people elected means doesn't mean we necessarily have political empowerment. Until Latino community has you know true political power, we're not going to be able to pass some of these issues that do matter to us. And while immigration is not the top issue that matters uh, you know to Latinos when you speak to them. It is kind of a litmus test of what you feel about our community. And I think we as a, we as a community do need to fix our, the immigration question so that we can move on to the bigger questions we have to deal with about where, you know, how we're going to uh, proceed in this country and how we're going to make this country uh, better. Uh, but you know, I think we made the mistake many years ago that by getting some people elected, that, get, that would give us political power. And that, and that has proven not to be true. One, because our leadership has been so weak, but two, because Political power is not just found in the in the halls of Congress. It's also found in the halls of the of the CEO boards and of the union shops. And that's where we haven't also been populating at the same time. And that's where we have to start moving into is to making sure that for every congressman we get in there, we also need to find five or six Latino uh, or Latina CEOs. In our in our last uh, occasion, 
here on Fronteras, uh, which can be found online on our website. Uh, we had a discussion about the collaboration of nonprofits and, and utilizing nonprofits uh, to, to become that leadership that you're talking about, uh, Representative, you know, in the, in, in the respect of, of, of having leadership come from other areas, from the business world, the CEO boards that you're talking to, the CEO and the boards that you're talking about, you know, the, the nonprofit sector and the like. If, if we were to say we would like to come up with a few key points that our communities, whether they be in Arizona or they be here in the El Paso Las Cruces corridor, that our communities need to begin to focus on so we can actually begin to affect uh, uh, an agenda that leads to a better tomorrow for, for all communities involved, what would your points of recommendation be? I mean, uh, I, I know that you guys are organizing yourselves out there, uh, representative in Arizona. You know, you, you've, you've had conversations with me about some of those efforts. Joseph, you talk about bringing a, a stronger support from the, from, from, younger generations and nonprofits. How, how do we bring a, a proposal, if you will, to our communities? And I, what should that proposal be? I, I, well, I agree with the political empowerment uh, goal, but ultimately I feel that uh, we have to promote civic participation in general to achieve that goal. Uh, civic participation post-World War II era in education that used to be kind of the foundation of the educational platform, that's disappeared. I think the nonprofit sector has to promote that civic participation, involvement, awareness, collaboration, directly impacting community issues. These don't have to be politicized, but they do require communities to get organized around the issues that are impacting the most, while simultaneously recognizing the resources they have to address them. That is the ability, or that's fertile ground, to grow a new leadership base to infuse uh, within our state and, and federal uh, you know, elected positions. But that will take some time, and it will take some investment. I do think it takes that collaboration, that vision of, of newly elected younger leaders who recognize that it will take across-the-board collaboration among these, uh, these fields are usually kept apart, but across this entire region. I feel that the situation in Arizona will require greater partnerships from New Mexico, Texas, and California to really articulate change for the entire region. How Arizona goes will influence how we all will go. 24 counties share the same border. Representative, you agree? Sorry, go ahead. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, to, to even to take it up a step further, you know, one of the things that we really uh, are investing here in Arizona is professional development, um, and especially our nonprofit charities. Uh, one of them here, we have what's called the Hispanic Leadership Institute, where we take, uh, you know, identify Hispanic leaders and we take them through a, a three-month training program and we get them networked into the community to be able to serve on boards, commissions, both on the nonprofit and for-profit level and at the civic level, too. Out of this uh, organization, we've already produced a couple of city council members, a couple of school board members, a couple of state reps. Uh, and even those people that have come out of this organization, they've, they've gone on and also recruited other candidates to run for other offices. So it's been a very good uh, effect. But two, in terms of civic engagement, we have found that it has been very helpful. One of the largest reasons why we had such higher turnout in the city council election last time around is because for the first time ever, we, and then I say we, that means us young Latinos, uh, particularly with an emphasis uh, on the DREAM Act, uh, with DREAM Act students large, largely leading the charge, we went door to door and spoke to Latinos and asked them, were they happy with their city government? Were they happy with their local park? Were they happy with the what was going on with crime? And a lot of times they said no, and that's when we explained to them how they could have control of their future by actually voting in a city council election. Uh, and that's how we surprised and shocked the world uh, when we, uh, you know, basically for the first time ever elected an, a Latino in an area that had been traditionally 
Anglo Republican. We, end, we ended up electing a Latino Democrat um, and uh, someone who was horribly outspent too by by the corporate entities. So there's there's a lot of elements to this that we're working on. But you have to have civic engagement, and you also have to have leadership development at the same time. Because if you have civic engagement, but you have no no one on the leadership side to basically guide them and push them uh, in a direction, you you'll have a rudderless ship. And also at the same time, you have a leader, but you have no followers, and you also have a, a leader with no power. So we're we're trying to use both tracks here in Arizona. You know, it's uh, it's interesting that that we boil down to a few key few key things that have been repeated not just by both of our guests uh, on this roundtable, but many other guests as well along the course of the the, the last season. One, political empowerment seems to be a, a very big thing that, that needs to be achieved, but can't be something that is done in a vacuum. Otherwise, it leads to, to well, nowhere, the way you guys phrased it, the way you guys it put has, it. Political empowerment has to go beyond the election, has to yeah, go beyond absolutely. the campaign. And that's, and, and that's when, when I see you know, uh, new leaders emerge that develop that infrastructure and then put it on the shelf and wait a year or two or however long until their next cycle comes up, it's such a shame. Right. Yeah. And we saw that with Organizing for America four years ago. You know, we developed these systems, but let's take them to the next level. And let's push so, those ideas and those, and those concerns of the community on a, on a dialogue that continues throughout the term in office. So to do that, then we do civic, civic engagement, civic development, and then uh, Representative Gallego was talking about also leadership development within our communities, and, and you echoed that sentiment. Uh, Joseph, so it seems that we have a, a, a jumping off point, all of which incidentally is, has a very big prerequisite, and that's education. You know, it, it, it seems like that would be the, the entry but, level. But you have an argument to be making to a conservative Republican that investment in this predominantly uh, Latino education system will pay off in the long run. The more the resources are, the more prepared they are, the more exposed they are, the more languages they speak, the greater <laughs> the Arizona's economy will possibly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing. Like, they are the future for the growth of that state. To treat them like villains or a pestilence you know, that, that, is, that is plaguing them. That is, that is the wrong political philosophy right now. To embrace them means to embrace the future that is coming for all the borderlands. It's not well, just the future, it is now. Absolutely. absolutely. Now. Right now, 48% of the age of 18 in Arizona is Hispanic. Yep. Uh, our biggest trading partner in Arizona is Mexico. Um, we, we trade more with Mexico than, than some of our border states. So there is a big problem right now that we are not getting as much of economic benefit from Mexico as we and can because there's a lot of Mexican businesses that don't want to do business. Representative, that's going to, and that's going to have to be our last word. I, I hope I can invite you to come to our studio next time around. I hear you're going to be in the El Paso or Las Cruces area soon. So uh, Dr. Joseph Viescas, Representative Ruben Gallego, thank you very much for being with us here at Fronteras, folks, an engaging subject that we will continue to explore. Have a great evening. I'm Hector H. Thank Lopez. you, Hector. Thank Bye, you. Doctor.